Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. Their website is abotanicalcompany.com, or you can give them a call at 405-458-9699. The only thing I would ask of you is just to educate yourself on what they have available and how it can help you. They are all about helping people live better lives. They've certainly had that impact on me. I am a customer and I am just really proud to be associated with them. The fact that they do so many good things for the community around them. They're just great people. So again, Artisan Botanicals, check out the website, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call at 405-458-9699. All right, we, uh, we have a big week, although both the Cowboys and the Sooners have a bye before the Bedlam matchup. Uh, I, I think we're going to get a lot of Bedlam talk over the next 10 days or so as uh, this is just a fantastic matchup. I think when you look at how well the Oklahoma offense uh, has played these last couple weeks and how dynamic they are offensively against what I think is one of the best defenses in college football and Oklahoma State, you look at the other side of that matchup with a struggling Oklahoma State offense but some big-time playmakers and an Oklahoma defense that has struggled for so long but all of a sudden, we've seen the defensive line look as good as anybody in the country. PFF actually has Oklahoma's defensive line rated as the best in college football. So uh, I think this is just going to be a tremendous matchup, and I can't wait until uh, sunset on Saturday night in Norman, Oklahoma, just a couple weeks away. That's going to be a fun, fun football game. And like I said, just just from a matchup standpoint, I think this one is really intriguing. Um Eric G's going to join me today. We're going to talk a lot of college football. I do think it's interesting in the Big 12 right now. We're giving Oklahoma State's defense a lot of credit. Uh, as I just mentioned, the Oklahoma defensive line is playing really well. The highest graded defensive line in college football for PFF. That begs the question, is the Big 12 getting better defensively? Or are we looking at maybe a shift in what the offenses look like in this league? Uh, I think it's a fair question to ask if offenses are as explosive as they've been in the past. This is something that, you know, I started pointing out about two years ago. We were seeing a shift in terms of the offensive mentality of teams in this league, coming back to the middle as opposed to being way out there in that that spread, high-tempo type offense that, that we've seen for so long. I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, just the style that teams are playing with doesn't, doesn't present as many explosive plays. The lack of, of tempo maybe helps your defense out, but it also prevents you from statistically looking like the same type of teams. You're just not going to average as many points when you're not averaging as many plays, when you don't have as many possessions. So uh, those things kind of work together, but I do think it's a really interesting conversation to have. So uh, we're going to talk about that as well. But I appreciate you guys joining the live stream every single day, now doing it Monday through Friday. I tweet the link at Colby underscore Daniels, and then the audio version is still available via all the podcast platforms, so check that out. If you want to hit me up, you can do so at Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter, Colby.Daniels on Instagram. I appreciate all of you, and once again, thank you so much for checking out the daily stream. All right, here's our guest on the Colby Daniels podcast. My guest is Eric G, co-host of the Pat Jones Show from the Sports Animal Tulsa 97.1. You can hear, hear him weekdays, Monday through Friday from 11 to 1. Eric G, what's going on? How was the weekend? Weekend was fabulous. It was, it was nice to kind of get back to football, get away from the election. Uh, 
Um, th today's already been a little hectic. Got my wife on the Zoom call today. Dogs are barking because you got a guy treating your yard. I got people coming to cut down branches. Life, life just seems to get in the way of everything going on right now. So um, hopefully just here for the next hour, we can talk a little football and not have life interrupted. But, you know, you never know. Um, and, and I found out I am not Colby Daniels. I will not be wielding a chainsaw anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> I, let the, I let the professionals handle that because they know what they're doing. So, again, it's safer for all mankind to keep tools out of my hand. And, and we're, we're all the better for it. I, I finished the front yard. The front yard has been completely cleared, although there are enough leaves in the front yard that my son could essentially use the yard as a swimming pool and just, I mean, make his way through the front yard, swim laps. I mean, the leaves are everywhere. But the front yard... I, I, I might need a new chainsaw, in fact. I've had to use that thing so much, but it, it's completely cleared out. The backyard is a whole different story. It still looks like an F5 hit it, and there are trees and branches and piles of things everywhere. Uh, so, and, and you add the front yard's cut-up stuff to the backyard. It's, uh, it's a pretty wild scene back there. But at least from the, the curbside appeal right now, it's way better than it was a week ago. Well, that's what you, you have just basically a huge campfire. So now you've got a lot of wood for a campfire. That That's what you do. You take your son out, you tell him you're camping, set up some tents in the backyard, and then slowly but surely over the next few weekends, few months, you just kind of burn that wood down to ash. That That's how you take care of it. Yeah, you know, just, just go for it. Your son will never know the difference. He's too young to yeah. know that you're not really out in the woods. <laughs> Uh, yeah, look, we have a ma we have a massive fire pit uh, in in the backyard, like toward the back of the property. And at some point, I'm going to start burning everything. But the the wind has been so bad the last few days. I feel like if I were to try to start burning things, I'm probably going to take out a couple counties. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, don't, don't don't be trying to do it now. Don't fly a kite now. Don't don't climb any ladders at this moment. This is why you pay people. And even look, I'll give the guys credit today who cut the limbs down off my trees. They had this like saw on on like this ten foot pole that they were able to reach up with this saw and chop off half the branches. I've never seen anything like it, but it kept them from climbing on a ladder because had they, I guarantee I would have been sued because that's the, that's the way things go. Wind would have blown them off. It's too windy, but hopefully, hopefully um, by the time Bedlam rolls around, maybe there's a little bit of chill in the air, but not so much wind so we can see Spencer Rattlers and Spencer Sanders throw around the ball. Yeah, look, I, I'm not even permitted to get on a ladder at my house. The last time that happened was, was this summer uh, when we had a couple of branches break at the top of the tree. And so I got the ladder out, climbed to the top, and I was trying to dislodge one of the branches loose. Well, I didn't realize that the, the branch I was grabbing onto for balance was also broken. So oh, as I no. grab one branch to get balanced enough to, to lodge the other one loose, the one I grab is broke. It, it comes down, and both of them start falling on me. I try to get out of the way too fast. I miss a step about 12 feet in the air and go straight down. Uh, I, I don't, I, I may have broken my wrist. I don't know. It was in a lot of pain for a couple of weeks, uh, but I, I powered you through. Go, you didn't go to the doctor. I did really, not. you didn't did not, not go to, now that, that is such a man thing to do. Yeah, and how I'm, much I'm an idiot. Your wife complain about? How much did your wife, how much did your wife tell you, you need to go to the doctor? You need to go get that looked at. Yeah. Yeah. 
and it's not like it's not like it it happens and then I never mention it. Like I complain about it regularly. So that makes it even worse. You know, I like and I realize that. It's just, you know, it's one of my flaws. <laughs> every, every man hates going to the doctor, except me because I'm a hypochondriac. It's like as soon as I get yeah. a little sniffle, I'm I'm in there. I'm like, fix me, give me medicine, give me anything. Can't afford to miss work. Can't afford to be sick. Hate being sick. If I'm in even the room, just that a, a skosh of pain. You know, give me the strongest muscle relaxer you've got. Give me hydrocodone. Give there me something go. that'll yeah. just that'll just make me sleep so yeah. you're tougher than i am as, as we've learned over the last two weeks you're more useful around the house than i am and you're tougher than i am so in a way you're kind of becoming my hero well I, you I, know what i would I honestly compare myself more to like tim the Toolman taylor actually than than anything i i attempt to do things but it usually doesn't end up in a positive result <laughs> Yeah, I do, it, sounds like, it sounds like every, every sitcom CBS yeah. has written over the I do draw years. the line at electricity, though. Like, I'm aware of the fact that, that when I try to do things, a lot of the time it ends in some sort of injury or something like that. So electricity is where I draw the line. I'm not even going to attempt that. There's a good chance I kill myself in that process. So uh, if we ever do have, like, in-house electrical problems, that's I will absolutely hire it out at that point. But otherwise, you know, I, I'm going to give it a go, see if I can do it. Uh, if I can't and I get hurt, I'm not going to visit the doctor, but I am going to complain about the pain every single day. So, yeah, that's, um, that's the way I like to handle things. See, I wish we were closer in age because we could have used a guy like you in my fraternity. I lived, I, um, I, the house that I lived in was the oldest fraternity house on campus at OU. And believe me, at that time, it looked it. It, it showed it. It was, it was very run down. Um, we had a, a nice facade that we had to take down because it was all rotten inside. But every week, every day, something went wrong. And we had this guy, Matt Elliott, who was a great handyman. He's a fireman now. He, like, fixed everything. I don't know why he was going to OU. The guy could have made a lot of money as pretty much a handyman, but he made sure that all the windows were, you know, could close properly. I mean, cause this house was built like 1929 or something like that. He made sure, you know, if the air conditioner was broke, he was the guy that could fix it. The only thing he couldn't do, like you, was electrical. So we bring an electrician in to take a look at some of the wiring because we need to rewire things. We need to update the house. And this is 1994. The electrician took one look at it and said, yeah, I'm not going in there. <laughs> he says, I can lose, I can lose my license if I worked on this house. So almost, you know, 25 years later, finally our alumni, uh, alumni splurge and spend a million dollars on a brand new house, which the fraternity is not even living in now, but that's another story. But yeah, Colby Daniels, you would have fit in perfectly in our fraternity because we needed a guy like you. Yeah, look, give me a six pack and I, I'm probably willing to attempt anything, uh, you know, as payment. So, uh, so have you, have you ever installed a, um, a garbage disposal? Because those are a pain in the ass. That I can that I can tell you. I've not had we to. I recently fixed our gar garbage disposal, but I've oh, not ever installed really? one. Yeah. What was wrong with it? There was something jammed uh, in it, and it wouldn't like when you turned it on, you could hear the hum, but it wouldn't actually spin. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. insert broom handle into disposal, and like jab it about fifty times as fast as you can, and next thing you know, you flip that switch and. Everything's getting grinded up. Perfect. 
we used to have these little plastic, they, they look like shot cups. Uh, my great grandmother bought them for my oldest when, when, when he was young. So, I mean, they were real easy to drink out of, but they were like little shot glasses. They were plastic, but they were the perfect, just the perfect size to get down into the garbage disposal and not come out. And one day I got one stuck and could not get it out. We had to call, we had to call the, the professional, the handyman to come in and pull it out with pliers or, or, or something else. Actually, no, we tried to pull it out with pliers. He ended up having to take the entire, he had to take the, remove the garbage disposal from the sink in order to dislodge oh. this cup. Yeah. I've yeah. lost multiple shot glasses in the disposal and you never know they're in there. You know, like you said, they're just the right size to fall down the sink, so you're not aware that they may have fallen in there. You flip on the switch, and then you just hear the glass shatter everywhere. You think Stone Cold Steve Austin is walking into your house, but you've really just lost a shot glass in the disposal? And that's such a nasty sound. You just the you know, glass crunching by the disposal. Yeah. You're lucky, because I know people who have done that, and glass has flown everywhere. They've ended up getting cut by it. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it, it can get a little hairy. You, you, uh, you got yourself. You, you were at least safe, safe from, from the glass. Yeah. Uh, I was gonna tell you this real quick. So about a year ago, my dad was here helping me do some things around the house and uh, from Texas, and we were switching out some light switches because we had painted the walls and the walls were white, but the light switches, not the cover, but the actual switch, we had switched the covers out to white covers but the switch was still like a like a cream kind of color, yeah. so it really stuck out uh, around the like gray wall and white light switch cover. There's this, you know, just this tan, creamy looking switch. So my dad is, is gonna help me, because I, like I said, I'm not even going to attempt to uh, mess with anything electrical. So he, he starts taking the covers off and he starts on the first one and I ask him, I'm like, do you want me to go shut all the power off? Like I can go just, you know, flip that switch. No, it'll be fine. So I'm not even kidding you for probably 20 minutes, every 10 to 15 seconds, you can just see his body like tense up as he's like hitting the electricity and he's like, Ehr. and then he keeps going Ehr. And, I'm, and I keep asking him, I'm like, I, it'll take me two seconds to run in the garage, flip the switch and turn off the power. And he's like, don't do that. No, no. Like just absolutely refuses to allow me to turn off the power while he does this. So, it, I mean, for 20 minutes, every 10 to 15 seconds, he's just getting shocked over and over and over. And I was like, what the hell is happening here? This is exactly why I don't mess with electricity. That's a man. Yeah. Man. Yeah. The electricity, it just, he absorbs it. That's what, it, what's what <laughs> it makes him powerful. Yes, he absorbs it like a like a like a mutant from uh, from X Men. Yes, like, absorb people's powers. He just absorbs as you get older. That's what you don't. They don't teach you that in biology classes. We get older. You start. You hit your fifties. Things like electricity apparently don't hurt you anymore. Right. You can get hit by a car and be fine. You know, in, in, in your 50s. I don't know why, you know, when you're younger, it breaks every bone in your body. But in your 50s, you just walk everything off. Yep. Yeah. So just, next uh, two years, I'm walking everything off. Yay! There you go. There you go. Electrical master, Eric G. <laughs> I'll turn it off. I'll be fine. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, how, many, how, how many deaths? How many how many household deaths have come after those words? I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Yeah. 
fine. I, I literally <laughs> think every time I've said that, something bad happens. Pat <laughs> and hold my beer. Yeah. Those, those, the, I'll be fine. It, 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 the, the, I'll be fine is number one in Daz. Hold my beer, number two. Well, I don't and... know that I've ever said I'll be fine without saying that hold my beer following that statement. Like, I'll be fine. Hold my beer. Here, here we go. Hold my beer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, those, those, those two lines, I think, are, are married, at least at, at my house. They, they come as a package deal. F that gator. I'm going into that pond. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll be fine. Hold my beer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, I you know what? Speaking of that, I think that's what Spencer Rattler was telling uh, Lincoln Riley on Saturday. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he was. I, nothing Nothing about that game shocked you, did it? I mean, no. there, there was – from what – okay, from what Bill Haston told me, who, who was at that game watching it, and sometimes when you're you're up in the press box, you're at a game, you see things a little bit differently than you do on TV. He was pretty convinced that Kansas put up a fight for the first couple of series, but after that, those guys checked out. And you just kind of wonder if if you're less miles, if you're losing them that early in a game, do you really honestly? And I'm not even lying about this. If you're less miles, do you seriously consider as the weeks go on? reporting to the Big 12 that you have more COVID cases than maybe what you actually do so you don't have to play the rest of this Just season. Just wave the white flag. I mean, you're done. Yeah. I, this is that team, if they've quit that early and can't, I mean, if they've gotten to the point where they just don't feel like they can put up a fight, then they're not going to go to practice. They're not going to, they're not going to play with any enthusiasm. They're not going to worry about getting better. And if you're less miles, you're in a weird situation where now you've got to figure out how to either bring in transfers, get rid of some of the guys you're on scholarship. I mean, unlike an NFL team, you can't in college, you can't just completely clean house, but that's what this guy's going to have to do. And, and I think, look, for as bad as OU beat them, somebody else is going to beat them worse. I mean, I'd be surprised if somebody – I would be surprised if somebody doesn't get close to 80 points on the, on this team by the end of the year. Yeah. That's – that's they're, they're done. That is – they are the worst team in college football only because New Mexico State isn't playing this year. <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I mean, I, I said on Saturday in the pregame with Steely that if Lincoln Riley's job were on the line and they said, you need to win this game 100 to zero or, you know, we're going to can you or something like I, I don't even care if they play sloppy. They're going to figure out a way to get to 100 and they're not going to allow a point if if it was those kind of stakes. Uh, I, I, I honestly believe that they could have done that on Saturday. They played about as sloppy as we've seen them play all year long, and they still won the game, what, 62 to, was it 62-10, 62-9? Yeah. I'm, I'm forgetting well, the final score, that, but, yeah. Well, and it, and it tells you, well, the thing you take away from that is, one, they have gotten tremendously better over the, over the last three weeks, and so much so that a couple of weeks ago, with no hesitation, you're probably picking Oklahoma State to win Bedlam. Because Oklahoma State, you think, might have the best 22, starting 22 in the Big 12. Well, now that starts to come into question when you look at, at, at the way Oklahoma State's offensive line plays. And, and before we get into them, 
the one thing about OU that's really standing out here over these last three weeks is just how much better not only the defense overall is playing, but the defensive line is playing. They are causing havoc for everyone. What's frustrating is that they weren't good enough to do it against Iowa State and K-State. And the team that OU is going to be at the end of the year doesn't match the beginning of the year. And in a sense, if you're an OU fan, I guess the good thing to take of it is you've got something to build on for next season, but it is going to feel like a wasted year because even if you win the Big 12 and get to a New Year's Six, you're going to feel like you could have made the playoffs this year because because the Big 12 – while it may be a little bit better than what it's been in years past, it's still not a very good league, and there's no reason OU shouldn't go undefeated right now every year inside the Big 12. Yeah, completely agree. That defensive line right now, I, I think, is is the difference in what we're seeing on a week-to-week basis. And, and look, I'll go back to the beginning of the season. The Kansas State game, I thought they played well. Part of the issue in that game, though, was the fact that Kansas State just it kind of took them out of the game with their play calls. They were getting the ball out really fast. They were doing everything in their power from a play call standpoint to kind of neutralize Oklahoma's defensive line. And that's when K-State started having success. Uh, Iowa State wasn't the greatest performance, but the Texas game, the OU defensive line, I thought was the MVP. All the way to the seven-minute mark of the fourth quarter, they had completely dominated Texas. Texas was never able to establish the run game. Sam uh, Ellinger was under pressure the entire game. And then what happened when they decided to stop uh, playing their normal defense and went into that three-man rush and played prevent defense? That was when Texas finally started having success in the fourth quarter. But to that point, when they were still playing their defense and the defensive line was still having the opportunity to dominate the football game, they did that. And then from that point on, obviously, they've been terrific. Isaiah Thomas, I thought, was by far the best defensive lineman on this team for weeks. And then we've we've continued to see Perrion Winfrey uh, emerge and make his presence felt. Nick Benito is, is another guy that I think has just slowly progressed and gotten to this point that he is a valuable asset. And then you add their best defensive player overall in Ronnie Perkins to the mix. And, you know, again, the more he gets caught up to game speed, he's just going to be that much more devastating. But, yeah, that defensive line is outstanding, and they have the ability to cover up the mistakes with the linebackers and the secondary right now. Maybe not 100%, but they can at least disguise some of the, the blemishes on the back end of that defense. And, you know, again, we'll talk about the matchup with Oklahoma State, but PFF has Oklahoma's defensive line right now graded as the best in college football. Um, and it probably is. Um, I also give a lot of credit to where the offensive line has come over the, over those last three weeks. You mentioned that Texas game. They really wanted in the trenches on both, on both sides of the ball because right. that was probably the best running performance up until that time that, that OU had. But it just – one, I think it speaks to no spring – no no typical summer work having to kind of piece everything together in a about a three four week span with stops and cancellations and testing and whether you're having a season or you're not having a season and it didn't allow OU to build any continuity so what what Alex Grinch would tell you about all these good weeks of practices that you're having and how physical OU's being we weren't seeing it 
and, and then he would go back to talking about turnovers and, and how you got to make turnovers. And that felt like, well, the reason you're saying that is because you can't do anything else correct. And because you can't do anything else correct, you know this is the only way to win the game is to turn the ball over and keep the other team's offense off the field. It feels like they're, they're kind of moving away from that. And, and that's why – you know, that's why some of Alex Grinch's rhetoric, some of Lincoln Riley's rhetoric really doesn't make sense because what we're seeing is a physical, tough defense that can dominate the line of scrimmage. A, a team that plays fundamental, a team that, ta- that, that tackles a heck of a lot better than, than what they were tackling at the beginning of the year. And that's what you should be striving for. Okay, this is this is what OU was has needed to do and wanted to do for so long, but we just have not heard the coaches express that sentiment. It's nice to not only see OU play that way, but the coaches go align with it. And as we're finding out, when you play fundamental defense, when you play physical, when you hit guys hard, you can start turning the ball over. Um, playing, I think playing those bigger, younger defensive backs has certainly made a difference on, on as well on this defense because they seem to be in a lot better position than those than, than some of those shorter guys were. Yeah, there's no question. And, and and look, when you don't have to cover for as long, when the defensive line is getting pressure, that yeah. also makes your job considerably easier. But you know, in the past, I think you add the fact that quarterbacks have had a long time to throw. It's really tough to cover for a long time, even in, at the NFL level. Uh, it's the same scenario. But when you have a bunch of, you know, five eight five nine guys, a lot of teams, and we've seen this for multiple years, a lot of teams just throw up the ball and say, go make a play, and we feel good about our guy winning that battle, and they have for the most part. Now, you kind of wonder if OU, I mean, is it – should we assume that this is going to start to be the norm at OU, not just with this year, but but going forward, that 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 eventually, even with the conference being what it's being, and even when Lincoln Riley's offense being what it's being, and I've been very critical of that and how it's affected the defense, but should we assume, based on what we're seeing now, that even with those what I would consider handicaps, that you are going to be able to build a really good defense, that you are going to be able to build one that could rival some of those teams in the SEC? Well, I think it all starts with defensive linemen, and that's been the biggest separator from the SEC and the Big 12. I mean, the SEC has had NFL dudes on the defensive line for a decade, and the the Big 12 hasn't. Uh, I, I don't know what the NFL future is necessarily for the four guys that Oklahoma is putting on the defensive line, but I can tell you this, they're playing great football right now in the college game and and that's why they look as good as they do um I, I i don't i would have to say as far as the defense overall i need to see it consistently before i'm ready to jump in and start saying that that they're a good defense and they have a chance to be really good but what i can tell you is in the most important area that that you have to be good defensively they have that at least so you know there are still going to be plays where you know somebody blocks a play really well and you're going to be able to take advantage of, of the Oklahoma secondary. That's that's not just going to completely disappear, but you're able to limit those opportunities when the defensive line is dominating, when the defensive line is not allowing teams to establish the run game, when the defensive line is consistently pressuring the quarterback. They're going to look fantastic against OSU. Uh, o- I think OSU's so, too. Offense, uh, OSU's offensive line ha- ha- has really regressed in, in, in 
I mean, look, there, we can get to the keys of what it's – there are basically three things that OSU will need to have happen in, in order to win that game. But the OSU offensive line has regressed, and, and OU's defensive well, they, line And they've got, got a lot of injuries. Yeah, and I don't – first of all, I don't see any way OSU in that game can come out and be confident in, 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 in establishing the run. For as good as Hubbard and, and L.D. Brown could be – you're probably going to have to come out throwing the ball, which means you're probably going to have to do short passes, get the ball out of Sanders' hands quick, and try and get OU's defense back on their heel. Because if you're not doing that, if you're trying to run the ball, OU is going to eat them alive. And I kind of wonder, for as good as OU's defensive line is, um, and yeah, it's looked better fundamentally. How much of that's them versus how much of that is the, is the competition that they're playing against is maybe making them look a little bit better. And I think that's a fair question to ask because we've determined that outside of Iowa State, Oklahoma State, maybe Kansas State, this just isn't a very good league at all. And maybe, maybe the true test, unfortunately, will come in a bowl game when they play somebody out of the Big Ten or the SEC, and if they don't have that kind of success in that bowl game, then we'll know really where OU's defensive line is compared to everybody else in the country. And that's just been the unfortunate thing for the last few years is that the Big 12 can fool you into thinking that something is better than what it actually is. And then when you step up to competition that should be equal, that you should be on par with, you find out that you're still a few miles behind where they are. So that's you know, it's a big challenge that Lincoln Riley is going to have to overcome because, honestly, outside of your non-con and probably only playing one of those caliber teams per year, you really don't get a good judge on, on how you are against the rest of the nation being in this conference. And that's that's never going to change. I mean, Texas has to get tremendously better, but OU and Texas have to carry this conference if they're if if the Big Twelve is ever going to win another national championship. Because I don't think any of the other schools can do it unless something really quirky were to happen with the matchups in the playoffs, and maybe OSU gets an opportunity with a team like they've got this year. Or maybe they get hot in one particular game, or they get a favorable matchup. I just, I just don't see the Big Twelve ever winning a national championship unless it's those two schools. Well, we see- because you don't, you don't have national championship schools inside the conference. Yeah, it's just not what they are. Look, I, I thought about two years ago we started seeing a trend in this league where teams were changing slowly, changing the way that they played, and and we. We're going from this conference that played no defense and just spread you out and had great quarterbacks and were scoring tons of points every week. And and there's been a slow adjustment across the league to kind of getting back to the middle, um, running the football more, um, you know, establishing defensive linemen that can pressure the quarterback and be disruptive on the line of scrimmage, using tight ends and bigger personnel packages offensively. And we've seen that adjustment slowly take place over the last two years and now we're at this point where you look at the big 12 offenses and across the board they don't really look like the same groups that they were four or five years ago right I mean there's been a a shift across the board in this league and and let me ask you this question as far as offenses in the big 12 right now for years it's been the big 12 doesn't play defense the big 12 has no defenses I'm not I'm not trying to suggest that the only reason Oklahoma defensively has been having success or Oklahoma State for that matter is the offenses, but 
how many teams in this conference would you say have good offenses? Ooh. Uh, two? Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Well, you know what? I, I think Iowa State and Kansas State have good offenses, but they're, I mean, but look at Kansas State. Let's take them, for example. I think Kansas State has a good offense, but look what it's predicated on. It's the quarterback power run game. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they like to line up in too tight. Now, their tight ends aren't quite the size of, you know, what you got at OU or Iowa State or, or, or even Oklahoma State, but they can blow you off the ball. They play a tough physical brand of football and they've done a really good job over the last few years going back to when bill snyder was there getting those you know getting those types of quarterbacks that are big and, and can run uh getting the getting the almost like a sam ellinger light type player that can make big plays with his legs so they're, they're so they're a little bit different uh when you talk about the offenses in this league i i always kind of look at it based on what kind of school am I? What am I going to have success success with based on the type of players I can get? And if I'm at Texas Tech, I'm going to continue to run the spread, A, because a lot of Texas high schools run that, run that offense, and it's an easy simulation from – or a simulation coming from Texas high school to Texas Tech. I feel like I'm always going to be able to get a good quarterback. I feel like I'm always going to be able to get good receivers, and I'll just take my chances with the defense because that's what I'm able to win with. Honestly, if I'm tech, I'm probably shooting for once every four or five years, maybe having a shot at winning the conference. And other than that, I just want to win six, seven, eight games a year and go to a bowl so I can survive. I, I, I can survive with that game plan. If I'm Texas – I'm doing a lot more of what K-State's doing. I mean, you kind of saw that this year with Ellinger, but but in Texas, I also feel like I ought to be able to get the absolute best players in this conference. And I'm certainly not trying to be a spread team if I'm in Texas. Probably about trying to be a spread team if I'm at OU. But if you look at Lincoln Riley and what he's doing, A, he wants to run the ball. And, and as you said, B, he wants to get he wants to involve the tight ends as as much as possible because there are nightmares. They are nightmares to for, for people to match up and cover. Yeah. Yeah, look, it, it's really interesting. And, you know, again, you can you can say offenses are good. You can say offenses are not good. Um, it, they're just different than they have been in the past. And when you run those spread offenses and those high-tempo offenses and you get more snaps and you're on the football field more, uh, you're going to have better numbers. When you run the football more and slow down the game, the way that we've seen, you know, these offenses kind of shift back toward the middle of the last couple years – the, the offensive production isn't going to look nearly as good, but but you might still have a good offense. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's it's yeah. doing it a different way may impact what the, what the stats say, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have a bad offense. Like, right now, in the Big 12, scoring offenses in the country, Oklahoma ranks number 7, Texas ranks number 15, but then the next Big 12 school isn't until 41, which is Iowa State, West Virginia is 49, Texas Tech 56, Kansas State 62, Oklahoma State 69. That's scoring offenses in college football and where they rank. Uh, so you can either you can either say that offenses aren't good in this league, or, and I think this is this is true either way. We've seen a shift in the way that teams are running offense in this league, and it's not the same offense across the board that we saw five years ago. 
Well, and, and I think it, it comes back to something that Pat Jones always preaches, that if you play finesse, it's going to hurt your defense because they get used to playing finesse. And if you want to have a better defense, you're going to have to change the way that you do offense and change what they're practicing against and what they're seeing every day. And it seems like coaches have, have, woke, have woken up to that. And in order to get great defensive players – Look, they, great defensive players, defensive backs, defensive linemen, they don't want to come to – well, I guess defensive backs would. Because if you're making plays in this in this league, it shows, it shows that you can cover really good NFL-caliber NFL receivers, but defensive linemen don't want to come here. So you're stuck having to get the leftovers and then hopefully develop them. So changing a little bit of that offensive philosophy, taking the tempo out, keeping your guys fresh – all that goes into making your, your defense look a lot better than, than what it is. But I'm, I, I'm glad to see it. I got, I was tired of watching basketball on the football field. And I like football physical and to see it more physical in the Big 12. That's good. Uh, and and I, I, this Bedlam game, Colby, I think we could look at it. We could be looking at 24, 21, 28, 24, something like that. I mean, I'd be surprised if both teams got into the 30s. Because I think both of the defenses can play that tough. And I think both of the defenses can wreak havoc on these offenses. And it may come down to a last-second field goal or, or who has the ball last. But it's just not its not that back-and-forth 56-49 to, to 49 type game. What I love about this matchup for Bedlam, and, and I, I love the fact that we kind of have two – well, I hate the fact that we don't get to watch either team this Saturday. And, and I'm petitioning, by the way, for Oklahoma and Oklahoma State to never again have the same bye week. Uh, it's just frustrating as hell in this state to have both schools off on the same Saturday. But uh, that said, I, I do love the fact that we kind of get the two-week buildup to this game. And I think from an X and O standpoint and from a matchup standpoint, this is as good a Bedlam matchup as we've had. And, and we've had some really good ones. And we've had some great games. And we've had some games that have come down to the wire. We've had shootouts. I mean, we've had a little bit of everything in Bedlam. But when you look at this specific matchup, First of all, you have good on good, which is the Oklahoma State defense and the Oklahoma offense. And then on the other side, you have an Oklahoma defense that hasn't been good for a long time versus an Oklahoma State offense that we expect way more from every single week but continually struggle. And the biggest reason they're struggling is the offensive line. And the biggest reason why Oklahoma's defense has maybe overachieved the last few weeks is the defensive line. And I, to me, that is the key matchup in Bedlam in two weeks. OU's defensive line against the Oklahoma State offensive line that has continued to struggle. And if I'll just say this, if Oklahoma State's offensive line against OU plays as bad as they did last Saturday, I think they're in big trouble. Because look, Oklahoma's oh, going to get some plays on that Oklahoma State defense. Yeah. I think the Oklahoma State defense is going to win. I think that's going to be a great battle, and it's going to go back and forth, and, and both sides are going to have their victories i don't really know what to expect from the oklahoma state offense versus the oklahoma defense other than what we've seen for the last three or four weeks is oklahoma state struggle on the offensive line struggle to to put together consistent offense and the oklahoma defensive line to be disruptive and if, if they're disruptive in this game then I, I think the Cowboys are in a bunch of trouble. They're going to have to scheme around that or they're going to have to get some players back or they're going to have to improve drastically uh, for, for something to change there. And it's crazy to me that coming into the season, if we looked at Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, you might have said the Oklahoma State offense was the best unit of all four 
between OU and OSU. And I think going into this game, they're probably the worst unit this uh, next Saturday. They are. They are. I, well, a couple of things have to happen. One, you're going to need, in order to win, you're going to need your full complement of players back. Because I, I don't, for, for as good as OU's defensive backs have played, I don't think any of them can cover Stoner and, and Tylen Wallace. Agreed. I, I think those guys can, can get loose for some big plays. But Wallace, as you saw, him not healthy last week, took away somewhat of Spencer Sanders' blanket. I think the other thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to get Brennan Presley involved in the offense one way or another, whether it's hit him on screen passes, whether it's see if he can stretch the field, because speed is speed, and it kills. And I don't know that there's anyone that can cover him from OU. Sanders. Sanders, you say the offensive line, I've already just kind of given up on the OSU offensive line. For me, the, the key is Spencer Sanders, and is he healthy? Because he's going to have to run a lot and make plays with his legs in order for OSU to win this game. And if he's not healthy, then you're you're put in a situation now, and we saw it last week where, okay, he's a little off, he's not healthy. You could go with Shane Illingworth, but the guy not being as mobile, you know, could he just move? just enough could, could he stay away from the sack feel the pressure just enough to make throws downfield you need spencer sanders to be healthy but there is something that's bothering me about spencer sanders and that is this it's not just his health but he doesn't seem to feel pressure and if you notice in the, especially in that game against k-state he was hanging on to the ball for an awfully long time and I'm not sure what's up with that. I mean, and honestly, when you're when you're watching it on television versus being able to see it in the stands where you can see all 11 men on the field, how much of that is coverage and his guys being just not open? B, how much of that is him just not being aware? And if you're Spencer Sanders, as bad as this is going to sound, you can't have faith in your offensive line. You may like him. You just can't have faith in him. Doesn't mean you have to get happy feet. Yeah. But if, if you see your your guys covered and you don't feel like there is a throw to be made there, and you don't want to fit it into a tight window, then man, you better run because you've got you 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 can go 10, 15 at a pop. You have got that kind of speed, but we just don't see him doing that. And that's that's what's kind of that's what's kind of bothersome. To me, me the whole receiver separation and guys getting open is the hardest thing to evaluate when you have when you watch a game on television and you're not actually there seeing what's happening down the field because you're you're a prisoner to whatever camera angle they're using. So you know that I think is is again when when we're evaluating these games via television, that part of it is is hard to hard to know. I, I don't know if guys are getting open. I don't know if guys aren't getting separation. I can say this, though. Number one, I would say Spencer Sanders is probably a little bit gun-shy uh, considering the turnover issues. And, and look, he, he's, he hears the criticism. Uh, he, he knows what people are saying. So I think that probably plays a little bit of a factor, the fact that he, he just doesn't want to commit turnovers, doesn't want to put his team in bad situations. And so he's probably a little bit more hesitant to throw the football than he would be in a normal circumstance. The, the biggest issue with that, though, is the fact that if you are going to be gun-shy with throwing the football, that should mean that you're using your legs to, to make plays. And, and I'll go back to Jalen Hurts a year ago. 
there were a lot of times where, you know, all of us were talking about Jalen Hurts not throwing it to open receivers and missing guys down the field and calling his own number. The positive thing about that was that most of the time, Jalen Hurts was still getting positive plays. I mean, he may have missed yeah. a guy for a, you know, a 70-yard touchdown because there's a wide open, but he probably still picked up eight or nine yards. You know what I mean? Like, so it was still a positive result despite the fact that he wasn't seeing the field the right way or wasn't confident enough to throw the football in certain situations. Right now with Spencer Sanders, he's not throwing the ball. Maybe he doesn't feel comfortable. Maybe he's not seeing it. Whatever the issue is, it's not resulting in a positive play because at some point, to, to what you said originally, I think his clock has to tell him, hey, either I'm not making this decision or there's nothing there, but whatever the case is, we still need a positive play here and I've got to use my legs. And, and you know, again, I'll go back to the conversation we had a week ago. That's why Spencer Sanders is playing. He brings another dynamic to this offense that Shane Ellingworth doesn't have. And when you consider the offensive line issues, you need his mobility. You need his, his talent to extend plays or just run the football and put on the cape and, and you know, again, do what Jalen Hurts did a year ago at times. You're going to have to just be the offense at times because things are, from even from a play design standpoint, you can't design great plays if your offensive line is just getting dominated. So that means the quarterback is going to have to improvise. The quarterback is going to have to do some special things with his athleticism, with his speed, with his legs. So that's where I think Spencer Sanders over the next two weeks is really going to have to be coached or evaluate this thing that way. He's going to have to be a playmaker on the ground against Oklahoma if they're going to have success. Because again, I think right now, looking at that matchup, unless something drastically changes for the Oklahoma State Cowboys, I think the Oklahoma defensive line is going to be a big problem for them. Yeah, they are. And another thing that he's gotten very comfortable in, everybody's gotten comfortable with OSU, is that defense has bailed you out. For the exception of Texas, when you put them in really bad positions, they bailed you out. The defense, I mean, if you look at the way the defense played for Oklahoma State against Kansas State, it was night and day in between the first and second half. And then they have, um, you know, the, the, how you call it a fumble recovery, but essentially it was a ball that ended up in a, in a guy's hands and he runs it back for six. You've gotten to rely on the defense. So maybe it's made you a little bit too comfortable at this point where it's like, okay, whatever, offense doesn't work, defense will hold them. Well, that's not going to be the case against OU because Spencer Rattler can make plays. And for as good as this defense is, there's going to be a timer three during this game where he makes OSU's defense look really bad and he's going to give OU fans a lot of reason to you know to you know tear open and show the yes on their their shirt and you know, brag about how good he is and how OSU's defense was overrated so Sanders will not only have to make plays with his legs but he's going to have to have enough confidence in himself and his receivers sometimes to throw the ball where he doesn't want to throw it and you've got to trust that Tylen Wallace can do things that not a lot of receivers in the Big 12 for college football can do. You have to give him an opportunity to make those incredibly athletic catches. Just, just do it. And the thing I don't know, I don't know, Kobe. I mean, no, no matter how long I've been around sports, is how to make somebody play with reckless abandon when they've sort of coached caution into themselves. Um, something Pat Jones always worries about. Don't, don't coach caution into good players. Well, it seems like Spencer Sanders has coached caution into, into himself. He's inside his own head. 
and I don't know what Mike Gundy's telling him. I don't know what Tim Rattay is telling him, as opposed to maybe what you know other coaches at Oklahoma State told him last year. But there needs to be, you know, Sean Gleason. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. It just seems like that kid, his head, his brain has been so cross wired from all the different messages that he's getting that he doesn't know. He doesn't quite know where his own confidence level is, and I don't know that you fix that until he just goes out and has one of those games where essentially he puts OSU on his shoulders, and Bedlam is the perfect time to do it. I mean, this is this is the time, and you look. This is a very winnable game for OSU, but they need him to be at his absolute best, and I'm just not sure. I, I'm not sure where he is, and you just wonder that every week going into the game is, man, you know, what, what's he going to do today? That's yeah. not a good, not I a agree. good feeling for him. I agree. What's, what's, what's he going to do? Uh, is he a three-interception game, or is he going to be the guy that runs for 100 yards and throws for 200? Because he could be – he is both guys. Yeah, look, if if he's able to extend plays, um, and if he does that, there are going to be big plays to be had in the passing game. Uh, I, I believe that. I mean, Oklahoma has been much better because of the defensive line. If you're able to extend plays, uh, I, I don't think the secondary is just that much better that they're they're going to shut you down. So extend plays, and, and then I think there are big plays in the passing game. And, and he, at this point, I think he has to be the rushing threat. I mean, Oklahoma just – or Oklahoma State, for whatever reason, I think a lot of it is the offensive line. But, uh, you know, with Chuba Hubbard even, he's he's kind of failed to find a rhythm – uh, Spencer Sanders has to be the dynamic threat on the ground. And, you know, if you can package those together with one guy, you know, you, you, you mentioned the S on your chest. Spencer Sanders is going to have to be the Superman in, in this game. Again, assuming that the offensive line from Oklahoma State isn't drastically improved. If, if they're considerably better, then that changes this whole conversation. But uh, based on what we've seen, I mean, I don't have any reason to think they're going to be drastically better in this matchup. I, I absolutely expect that the Oklahoma defensive line is going to win that battle. And Spencer Sanders is, is you know, to your point about just going and, and balling out and, and not thinking too much about this. I, I mean, this could be a game where Spencer Sanders thrives. I mean, if, if you are the Oklahoma State coaching staff, you have to tell him, just go play and, and use your athletic gifts to win this game. And if he's able to use his athleticism... That's where I think you can beat this Oklahoma defense. But him standing in the pocket, I think, is is a lost cause in this matchup. Yeah. It's, yeah I, don't, I don't even want to think about him standing in the pocket because he's already nicked up enough as it is. I don't know what a big hit would do to him. And speak, speaking of Hubbard, we, we know L.D. Brown is nicked up because there was that one play in that Kansas State game where he – Looked like he was going to bust off for a big run. He got the first down and went straight to the sidelines. Had that hamstring information, hamstring situation. Well, the Oklahoma State How broadcast before th the game reported that he was going to be out. So the fact that he yeah, even played did. was right. kind of shocking. Yeah. Okay, so how much of Chuba Hubbard not getting into rhythm? How much of that do you think is maybe not the offensive line because Hubbard is good enough to overcome those mistakes? But is he maybe a little bit more banged up than, than what we have heard this year? Is he maybe fighting through some injury issues that, that Oklahoma State just hasn't told us about? Well, I know he is fighting through injury issues. I, I just don't know the degree. So, 
I, I think that, that that's that's a fair, I think, question to ask. I, I don't know the answer to it, but I have been told that he has not been 100%. I don't know if that is preventing him from, you know, being what he was or even, you know, it, it feels like he's a pretty far distance away from what he was a year ago. And again, a lot of that is the offensive line. Some of that is probably his own frustration with just the way the season has gone and, you know, the, the criticism around that, that, that he's hearing everywhere. I mean, this was a guy that was on the short list for the Heisman Trophy before the season started. And, you know, now he's, he's uh, just kind of a guy, right? Like, I'm not yeah. saying his talent no. level is – I still think he's a tremendous <laughs> player, but I'm saying based on the results, he's just a, another guy. Well, for as frustrating as an individual season as it is for him, he's got a chance to accomplish something that has only happened two other times during my lifetime, and that's OSU's got a chance to either win outright or get a share of the Big 12 title. So, yeah, for an individual standpoint, maybe your draft stock isn't improving, and maybe that's your offensive line, maybe that's your health, whatever, but you've got from now until – February, March, when the combine rolls around, which you're going to get an invite to to get healthy and and really show out. And any NFL scouts that you talk to are going to take a look at that film. They're going to take a look at at junior film, and and they're going to they're going to be put in this tough situation to decide which, which is the real you. But you can still improve that. Frustration this year on an individual level is one thing, but you got to remember what's ahead of you for Oklahoma State. These opportunities don't come around very often. Not only do you have a chance to beat your biggest rival, um, and possibly, well, actually, I think if you beat them now, you're, you you wouldn't end up playing them twice, but you got a chance to beat OU and win the Big 12 championship. Possibly, depending on how things go, no matter how screwed up it's, it seems that the Big 12 is out of it, you have no idea what's going to happen the rest of this college football season. What if Ohio State um, suffers a rash of COVID or a rash of injuries? Georgia seems like they're out of it now. Florida probably can beat by Alabama in the SEC championship. All sorts of doors can open. But if your frustration, if your frustration, frustration on your individual year is getting to you too much, you're not seeing the big picture. And Right now, Mike Gun- I think Mike Gunny's got, got his work cut out for him as to keep this team focused. And in a sense, I mean, when we watch him play, Colby, I mean, are you kind of surprised that the record is what it is? Because we have – I mean, we've said good things about them this year, but I don't think it, by any stretch of the imagination they've lived up to necessarily what we thought they were going to be. No, no. I mean, look, I, I would have said at this point I expected them to be undefeated. I, I... – I thought that uh, along with Oklahoma, they were the two best teams in the league, and and I wouldn't have predicted anybody uh, to beat them other than you know potentially the Sooners. So that so again, I, I would have expected them to be unbeaten at this point. But I, I think it's a testament to how really good that defense is. I mean, you know, we've talked about it all year long, and even for as much as we've talked about how good the Oklahoma State defense is, I don't think still. They've probably gotten the credit they deserve for the overall team success that they've had. They're a one-loss football team this late in the season with an offense that was expected to be one of the best in college football and currently ranks number 69 in scoring offense in the country. They're averaging less than 30 points a game, Eric. I mean, like, talk to defensive coordinators around college football, and what's the magic number that they tell you? They say, our goal, and this is just how, how football has changed, our goal is to hold teams under 30 points. 
if we can hold a team under 30 points, we feel like we can win the game. Like, that's a goal of defensive coordinators. Oklahoma State's averaging 28 points a game with a team that has Chuba, Chuba Hubbard and Tylen Wallace on it. I would still say if I'm Mike Gundy, though, the one thing that I, I would tell Chuba, I would not tell this to the whole team. I wouldn't and certainly wouldn't tell it to spend and certainly would not tell it to Spencer Sanders because um, it's going to contradict what I just said. But I would pull Chuba in and say, look, be frustrated with here all you want. And know the offense didn't click in the way we want. But look at what our defense does. Every game we got a chance to win no matter who we play because they're going to turn the ball over. They're going to make plays and they're really and if they give up a big play, they're, they're really good at overcoming that. So. Yes, be upset. We'll work to get better every week, but don't fret over it because the other side of the ball is taking care of us. Now we got to do our job because the last thing we want is another Texas situation where they start to point the finger at us and feel like no matter what they do, they're not they're not they're gonna lose those opportunities. But right now, just keep your head up. Keep it sounds so high schoolish, but you just have to keep grinding because yeah. that defense has done such an excellent job of putting that team on its back and carrying it. And honestly, I think it's gonna be the it's gonna be the same thing every game this week is we're gonna see the defense step up, make big plays, and give OSU a shot late to either win a game or put it on ice. And I same thing's going to happen to OU. I think OU fans who have kind of maybe downplayed how good OSU's defense is are about to find out in a couple of weeks just how good these guys really are. And, you know, when, I'm telling you right now, I'd be surprised if Trace Ford doesn't have at least a couple of sacks in this game, although he's yep. been quiet this year. Yep. He's, he's another guy that that – hasn't quite been what I thought he's going to be. But I, I I agree with Mike Gundy. I think there was so much hype about him coming into the year that offensive coordinators, offensive line coaches knew you've got to pay special attention to him, which for Trace Young, uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's a hell of a compliment. Or Trace Ford, that's a hell of a compliment. Yeah. Maybe your numbers aren't what they are, but damn, you know, they're doing a good job of blocking you. It usually means you've got their attention. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, look, I think Oklahoma State's offensive situation just once again points back to fantasy football players don't win you championships. I mean, at, at all levels, if you have a great offensive line and you have good quarterback play, those are the keys more than just being loaded with skill position players. You know, you see it in the NFL with the Dallas Cowboys, for example. Bad offensive line, bad quarterback play, they're loaded in the skill positions, right? Like, they have the best trio of receivers in the right. league with Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and CeeDee Lamb. Zeke Elliott has had a lot of fumble issues, but from a talent standpoint, he's still one of the most talented running backs in the NFL. They still have those guys, and offensively, they're a disaster because the offensive line stinks and they don't have competent quarterback play. Same thing with Oklahoma State right now. Bad offensive line, and again, understanding that the, the injuries are playing a role, but, but you know you have to evaluate the team that we're watching every week, and, and the team that we just watched was a bad offensive line, and again, spotty quarterback play. Uh, those are well, they're just they're, like you have you to be good in those good. two positions. I like what you said. Good quarterback play, not great quarterback play. Just be good. Just be good. Be better than average. Don't make mistakes. And Spencer Sanders sometimes just can't seem to get out of his own way. And that's probably not going to change in these next couple of weeks. And OSU fans are just going to have to grin and bear it. But it it doesn't mean that they can't win ball games. I 
the, the offensive line injuries, you had a guy dismissed earlier in the year. That's just it, – it's stuff you have to live with. And, and maybe – I don't know, maybe we should give them credit for where they are now considering all the issues that they have. As disappointing as they've been, overcoming the adversity they have to just be a one-loss football team says a lot about that coaching staff and a lot about how, the, how they're able to keep them on track. Um God, man, as we've done this show, I've, I've gone back and forth 20 times on who's going to win this game next week. <laughs> I, I was so confident in Oklahoma State two weeks ago. Same. And then early and then early this week, it was like, no, 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 this is OU's game. And then talking about it, it's like, all right, no, OU, no, OSU. So, yeah, I'm, I'm right dead in the middle. Two weeks ago, I probably would have picked Oklahoma State. Uh, I think I'm – right now – Again, I told you, I think the offensive matchup for the Sooners versus the Oklahoma State defense is going to be fantastic. Um, the only reason I would give a, a, an edge as far as as just on paper who's, who the better unit is, the only reason I'd give the defense an edge is because I feel like they just have so much experience there, whereas with Oklahoma, they could score 60. Like, I, I, I don't dispute that, but every week we've, you know, we've seen them make a lot of young mistakes. We've seen a lot of drops from the receivers. They're crazy talented. Uh, but just the inexperience to me is is the only separator. But they're going to hit big plays. They're going to score some points. I don't, I don't think by any means they're going to be shut out. So that's going to be a fun back-and-forth battle where I think both sides are going to have their moments in the game. The question is, again, for me, where you look at, at a struggling Oklahoma State offense against an Oklahoma defense that has been bad for a long time, but all of a sudden where it counts most is really improving. And the place where I see the biggest gap between these two teams is Oklahoma's defensive line smothering the Oklahoma State offensive line. That, to me, is right now uh, evaluating these two teams. That, to me, is the difference, and that's where I would lean Oklahoma for the win. I'd probably give a slight edge to Oklahoma State just because I think the defense can come up with with, with enough plays. I think there would be at least a couple of turnovers that they force, and more importantly, I, I think more importantly, I think that they'll hold OU to – um, to some field goals on some possessions versus letting them get in, get into the end zone. And maybe they can trade it. Maybe they can have a couple of possessions where you trade seven for three, and that ultimately makes the, the, the difference in, in this game. I'll lean Oklahoma State right now, but that's not not with a ton of confidence in, in saying that, to, 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 be, to be quite frank. And who knows, maybe when we talk next week, I've completely changed my mind. It's just yeah. – it's not even remotely the game that I thought it was going to be. I know, it's right? Very, like, it's, yeah, it's I'm, I'm with you. It's very weird. But I'm, I, look, I'm really excited about this game. And, and you know, again, we've talked about this for a while now. I Like, I, I just the matchups are so intriguing in this game, and I'm, I'm really excited to see how it plays out. Um, I was asked this question yesterday by Brian Keating, and, and I'm, I thought it was a really good question. I'm curious to get your opinion here. If you are Oklahoma State, knowing what that defense is and how they've carried you to this point, what is the magic number in your mind that the the Oklahoma State offense has to get? Like, well, if you're the defense, you're telling the Oklahoma, Oklahoma State offense, like, get us this number, and, and we and we got this. 28. So, so you think the Oklahoma State defense is going to hold OU below 28 points? I, I yeah I, I think they could. Okay. I really do. They're 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 that good. I think they could hold them to twenty four points. Yeah. Um. 
how good how good Iowa State's I mean, do you think Iowa State's offense was better than OU at one point? I mean, they did a good job against them. They did a really good job of not letting those tight ends be a big factor in that game. Although Kohler did have that one pass that he missed. Yeah, I I think that I think Oklahoma State's defense is good enough to hold anybody in this league. To, it's funny to, with Iowa State and Oklahoma, points. that comparison is interesting because I think Iowa State's probably a little bit more steady, but a lot of this is because of Brock Purdy and Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler is going to push the ball down the field, which is going to mean bigger plays, but also probably more mistakes. So, like, the ceiling and the floor is probably higher and lower for Oklahoma, whereas Iowa State's kind of a little bit more steady in the middle. So, I, I think that's the difference. You, you don't have to be as worried about Brock Purdy hitting you for a 70-yard touchdown in the air because not that he won't throw the ball deep, but he just doesn't make it a point to push the ball down the field the same way that Spencer Rattler does. Well, you got to remember, the only reason OSU gave up what it did to Texas, one, special teams, and two, turnovers. Yeah. Um, and, and those, I mean, those, those are those are absolute killers. If they can, if, if OSU can hang on to the ball, yeah, that defense can, that defense can stymie just about anybody. And the other thing I do worry about is, you know, we're going to see Kobe Harvell Peel on the field come next Saturday, who's been out these last couple of weeks. Without him, um, OSU has shown they've got maybe a little bit more depth than we originally thought, but you still need him to, to, to be player. there to make a place yeah. and, and, be an emo- and be an emotional leader for that team. Um, but 24 is not – it's so not out of the question for OSU to do that against OU. It's just not. Um, and honestly, OU's offense, I mean, if you think about it, they want to run the ball and they've got Ramondre Stevenson back. But outside of him and Spencer Rattler, is there anyone on that offense you really fear? I mean, like Austin said, Stogner, but they, for some reason, don't want to throw him the ball as much as they should. <laughs> I, I, I don't get it, but... Lincoln and Lincoln Riley says every week that he wants to get the tight ends more involved, and then it just doesn't happen. The fact that he's Maybe not Stogner averaging and- double-digit catches a week blows my mind. Like that's how good he is, uh-huh. and it's not like there's a CD Lamb there right now that demands the ball more than Stogner. Like I don't think you can legitimately make a case for a pass catcher at Oklahoma to get more targets than Austin Stogner right now. Did uh did Stogner date Spencer Rattler's girlfriend? I mean, is there something there as to why Rattler's not throwing him the ball? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I mean, even if I don't know if it's a Rattler thing, I don't know how much of it is is what they're designing from a play call standpoint. You know, I've said this for a few weeks. Like, I'm at the point now where if you're Lincoln Riley, you need to make Stogner the feature player in a lot of these plays because whether it's Spencer Rattler or not, if if he's the number one target in the plays you're drawing up, then Spencer Rattler's forced to look his way. So, you know, maybe yes, it's a situation it, where Stogner's option number three and Rattler's finding, you know, other options first. I, I don't know what the answer is there, but I would make it a point to to draw plays where Austin Stogner is the guy you're looking to out of the gate. Is Harvell Peel the guy that you think ends up covering him the most if he's healthy? I, well, here's the good thing for Oklahoma run. State. I think they have so many talented defensive backs. I think I, I think you're going to see... Did Darius cover him? Nah, nah. I, I think you'll see... Nice. If, they're going to they're gonna throw up, I would guess, they're going to throw a bunch of different packages at Oklahoma, and it, you're, you're going to see different guys get that opportunity. I don't think it's just going to be like, like a 
NFL deal where they, you know, point at this guy and they're like, you're on him the whole game. You follow him no matter where he goes. I, I, you know, they, they like to pressure. I just, and I, think, I just don't want to see Malcolm Rodriguez on him. As much <laughs> as I like Malcolm Rodriguez, I hate that matchup for him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, here's what we know. They're going to bring a lot of pressure, and I think they're going to do their very best to disguise the pressure and bring it from a bunch of different places. So, again, I think you're just you're going to see a bunch of guys have that opportunity. It's God. This is this this is so fascinating. The, the closer that the closer that that we get, and if you're Mike Gundy, I mean, it's not like it was a few years ago where you had to have that really weird press conference before Bedlam, and then relied on Bob Stoops' mistake to re-kick the ball to Tyree Kill to give you an unexpected win. Yeah. I, I don't know what you're saying to your team this week if you're Mike Gundy about digging down deep and and. It's just another ball game, game, Eric. Come on. We know what he's going to say. It's just another game. This one doesn't mean more than any of the others. Yeah, and that's that's so BS because his his kids know it. His kids know how big this game is. They know what is at stake. I don't know. I mean, and apparently his his speech ran over at at K-State, and that's why they were late getting on the field and had to take a delay and came on the kickoff. Um, And then they came out and, and played flat. Um, so obviously his, his his motivational speech did not work. You know, Gundy's motivational speech did not work well in, in that particular game. But I don't know what you're preaching these next couple of couple of weeks because I think they've given you everything they possibly have. I think this team gives yeah. you everything. No, they play I hard. I agree with that. Yeah, every week. So there's not really you shouldn't ha- if you're Gundy you shouldn't have to say much. It really is about getting healthy and cleaning up mistakes. That's it. 1,000% agree. Yeah. Only thing you've got to do in these next couple of weeks is figure out how to get your guys healthy and then clean up mistakes and figure out between um, you and uh, Casey Dunn and the and the offensive line coach figure out what you're going to do to scheme to keep guys off Spencer Sanders. I mean, it's not it's not rocket science. You've shown you've played every card you have had at this point. They've given you everything they had. They know what's at stake. And I honestly expect when this game starts for OSU, I, I think this will be the most emotional we see OSU all year long. I think they are going to come out absolutely on fire for this game. And I think OU will too. For, for as emotional as OU was at Texas, I think you can turn that up about five notches for this Oklahoma State game. Because OU senses it now. They sense they're rolling. They sense that they are starting to become OU again. And that's what's going to make this game so heartbreaking for one side or the other. I mean, whoever loses this game is going to be absolutely crushed. And, and, and the interesting thing is, is who recovers better from a loss? And I would bet that it would be OU right now, but I think a loss to OU would be just as devastating as a loss to OSU would on this season. Yeah. Under the lights in Norman, Oklahoma. I love that it's a cool. night game, by the way. Yeah, it's too bad there'd be like 5,000 or whatever there. <laughs> just... <laughs> But yeah, hey, sure. remember, whatever happens, don't rush on the field. You're going to end up like Notre Dame, and there's going to be the mandatory The super COVID. spreader event. <laughs> oh, my God. Pretty sure Ooh, Touchdown Jesus was uh, not happy with that. I, I, I wanted to look up and see if there was a – see if Touchdown Jesus had actually moved – you know, did the face palm after that. Tear like, oh, what are these kids? 
thinking, oh, who cares if I end up on a ventilator? We beat Clemson. Hey, you know what? I guarantee you there's probably a couple Oklahoma State fans that would be willing to take COVID for a Bedlam win. Uh, yeah, more, more, more than a couple, yeah. more, more than, more than a couple. I, I, well, what? All right. I'll disagree with that just a little bit because ever since 1995, when they won that game 12 to nothing, and you'd been on this 19 year stretch of, of not beating OU, you either lost or you tied and that was it. I think that moment, the way that, um, oh, Bob Simmons dominated OU. At the time he was there, and then you've got the less miles wins. You've seen OSU beat OU enough that maybe you, you might be back off a little. Two bit and thirteen, Eric. Come on, two and thirteen. Now, now, now a conference championship and a spot in the playoffs. Yeah, that I'm getting COVID. I'm, I'm more than willing to take COVID for two and thirteen, yeah. Mike Gundy. Hey, you've still beat them. You know, you know how you know what it looks like. <laughs> It's nothing you haven't seen before. Yeah. Hey, before we uh, before we run, the NBA has voted to start the season days before Christmas. Uh, we have a relatively short off season for the Thunder. Still don't have a head coach. Uh, this thing is about to hit warp speed. Uh, talking about the NBA because we've got the draft coming up in like what eight days I think from today. Um, yeah. We still have to go through free agency. The Thunder still have to find a coach, and then December twenty second, the whole thing starts again. Uh, for, okay, Adam Silver, whom I have long praised as the best commissioner in sports, is screwing this up. And I know I know exactly what he's doing. You, you don't want to give up Christmas Day. That is your day. And, yes, there is the, the sense that if you do give it up, you might as well call Roger Goodell and tell him to take it over or tell college football to take that day over with ball games. But in the best interest of the sport, for the health of the players who haven't had that much time off, one – give them an opportunity to at least get a month worth of the training camp in and get back into playing shape too. The fans are NBA fans are fatigued right now. You just had the NBA finals wrap up. You had a very contentious, you've got a very contentious relationship right now with the fans and the players over social justice stuff. Okay. And while I side with the players, I get that they're going to have to go back and, and they're going to have to win some fans back and some of them they're not going to win back. Um, I mean, you can even tie that into the, the, this recent election and what that will remind some people of. You don't know when fans are going to be able to come back to the arenas, if they're going to be able to come back to the arenas. Hopefully uh, the vaccine's going to be here by April. Congratulations to Pfizer, 90% effective. We're looking forward to that. But it just feels like this is very haphazardly put together for Christmas Day more than it is anything else. And and money on the players' part. Okay, yeah, we'll agree to it because we don't want to lose so much of our salary. But for a product that is pure entertainment, if you've got your, your biggest stars getting hurt early in the season or they have to sit out, you know, those people who are already hesitant for political reasons not watching you, well, heck, LeBron's not even playing. Giannis isn't playing tonight. Whatever, they're not going to come back to you know they're they're not going to come back to it so quickly. So I, it just feels rushed. It feels rushed. It feels like you're putting the players in danger. It feels like you're putting the product in danger. And as far as the Thunder goes, yeah, I mean Sam Presti 
has kind of operated on this whole idea of let's get the collective bargaining agreement done. Let's find out when the season's going to start. Let's find out when the draft is, and then we'll go hire a head coach. Well, now it's already sneaking up on him, you know, and it's and it's warp speed at this point. You need to make a decision here soon. I mean, you got to have a guy within the next couple of weeks. Um, I think what's interesting about the Thunder is just the operation that the GM is the most uh, the GM is the most dominant figure. So I don't think Sam Presti look at, looks at the coach. I don't want to say he doesn't want to say he's important. But he believes the coach is obviously less important than the GM and building a roster and that you can plug and play a guy. And we're going to find out just how, how much that works. And it's weird for the Thunder because, honestly, Colby, what are your expectations for the Thunder this year? Do you even know? I, I mean... We don't know what the roster is going to look like. I like I, I firmly believe they're going to do everything they can to trade Chris Paul to a contender. Um, they so, should. Yeah, I, I, so I that probably plays a big role into what the expectations are. If Chris Paul is back and they're unable to find a, a suitor, um, then you know that drastically changes what we expect from them what? this year. But I, I'll say this. On your Adam Silver thing, I, I agree. I, I do think it feels rushed. At the same time, the NBA did such a phenomenal job with the whole bubble thing and the way that they were able to manage that. It wasn't just a home run. It was a grand slam. I mean, they were yeah. great at how they handled all that. So I, I think they probably earned a little bit of trust in that regard, for me at least. So it, I'm with you. The timing does feel rushed, but they've they've got some goodwill in my mind based on the way that they handled the whole uh, bubble situation in Orlando. As far as the Thunder goes, the reason I don't think they've hired a head coach is because I think the head coach is already there. Like I, I think it's going to be one of the assistants or somebody – uh, that has been around, and they're they're just not in a rush to make it happen, and uh, we'll see what happens. But um, what I, about Will? What 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 do you, what's your read on the whole Will Weaver thing? Him quarantining in Oklahoma City, a guy from Australia. I don't know why you'd have him come all the way up from Australia and not hire the guy, especially <laughs> in in the COVID world. I yeah. mean, if you were just going to give him a token interview, couldn't you do that on Zoom? Yeah, look, I I know what I just said, and and this will contradict that. But Will Weaver, like when I heard that rumor, I was like, that's the most Presty hire ever, right? <laughs> like, yes, just seems yes, yeah, it just makes sense. But I don't. Know. I, it, I mean, we went, we all. I, I I was in the camp. I was in the Becky Hammond camp, thinking, oh, okay, yeah, awesome. he's going to be the one to hire Becky Hammond. And when that didn't happen, it's like, okay, uh, Darvin Ham, that's the guy I'm on from Milwaukee, but. Yeah, you know, we knew we knew it wasn't going to be a name. We knew we wasn't going to try and win the press conference. Right. But yeah, a, co- a coach from the NBL. Yeah, that is Sam. That is Sam Presti, and fans are going to hate it. And then if they happen to be successful, fans will talk about how Sam Presti is a genius. I, I I actually love watching the Thunder Cycle. It's one of my it's one of my most favorite pastimes in the world is to watch how the fans go from disliking Sam Presti all the way back around to he's he's a boy genius. Presti sucks. <laughs> In Sam we trust. Presty sucks. In Sam we trust. <laughs> that is it. That that, that the is the Thunder it. Roller Coaster. Uh, he traded Chris Paul, and then you're going to get this bevy of draft picks back. And next thing you know, you get the next Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Presty's a genius again. Yeah. Oh, he's better than Bill Belichick. By the way, by I the way, am that... pro trade Chris Paul. For what it's me worth. too. For a couple reasons. Number one, 
get something for the guy. Number yes. two, though, like because I'm a Chris Paul fan, I would like to see Chris Paul have one more opportunity while he's still playing at, at this elite level to make a run for a title himself. So, and and we obviously understand that's that's not in Oklahoma City, at least as the team is constructed. So, I am too. The the the, the caveat I would put on that is that in talking to Chris Paul and telling him you're going to do everything you can to get him to a contender, you still got to make the best deal for your, for your team. Right. But if I was Clay Bennett and Sam Pre- if I was Clay Bennett, I would express big time interest in Chris Paul. Look, when your career is over, we would like you to come be a part of our front office. We, we, we would like you to help in player development, decision-making processes, we want you here. You've done such a good job of doing this, and you've shown the acumen to see a much bigger picture. We know you might be thinking coach, and we could be open to that too, but we really see you as a front office guy. We want to extend that out there right now. We want to extend that invitation, that offer, whatever it is. So when you're done, let's let's make that happen. I yeah. think he would be tremendous because eventually Sam Presti's going to have to move on. And I think Chris Paul is the perfect replacement for him. Yeah. Whether it's front office or coach, I'm with you. I mean, I would, I would tell him like, we're going to bring you back maybe as a player in your twilight years to be, you know, kind of the coach on the floor and, and in the locker room and, and be that guy to the players. Uh, and then maybe that eventually becomes a coaching job. Maybe that becomes a front office job, but uh, there's no disputing the, the incredible, uh, it's almost like osmosis situation that happened this season, how just his professionalism and and willingness to to do what was best for the team and show up and play hard every every single night just kind of rubbed off on everybody on the roster. I'd be shocked, absolutely shocked, if by the time he retired, he's not in ownership somewhere. Yeah. That, that's what I see Chris Paul doing. That's what I see LeBron James doing. I think both of them are going to own basketball teams like Michael Jordan and be much better than him at it. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> All right, my friend, we got to run. Sorry. Um, digging on my- always appreciate it. We will catch up again next Tuesday. And, uh, you know, again, we'll, we'll hammer Bedlam even more next Tuesday. But uh, it was a fun conversation. Thank you very much, Colby. I appreciate it. Eric G., co-host of the Pat Jones Show on the Sports Animal Tulsa 97.1. Weekdays, Monday through Friday from 11 to 1. So make sure you check out Eric G. That is it for this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast. Once again, thanks to Eric G. for joining me this morning. Aaron Davis on the podcast tomorrow. We'll talk a lot of Bedlam football. We'll talk a lot of NFL. And we'll talk a little bit a little bit of the NBA draft. Excuse me, I got a little choked up there. But we'll talk a little bit of the NBA draft and, and what that looks like, uh, who the prospects to watch in that thing are going to be. We're like eight days away from the NBA draft, which is just crazy to think about this time of year. But uh, the NBA season, again, is, is a little more than a month away, December 22nd start date. So things are about to really hit warp speed for the NBA and all the teams. So that's going to be a lot of fun. But again, thank you guys for checking out the Daily Stream presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products on their website, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call, 405-458-9699. Just simply ask questions, and, and they are more than willing to help 
figure out a solution for you. They are dedicated to helping people live a better life. So uh, they're good people. They do a lot of good things for the community. Uh, the ownership is local. And I, I just, I couldn't be more proud to have them as the sponsor of this podcast. All right, everybody have a great day. Stay safe. And I will talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.